Barney's doesn't guarantee success. Vogue doesn't guarantee success. What guarantees success is if you actually find an audience that actually loves your product. We've been very slow to change in terms of how technology has impacted our lives. A new social network can pop up overnight and completely change our business model. Hello and welcome to the Glossy Podcast, our weekly show where we discuss fashion, luxury, and technology with the people making change happen. I'm your host and Glossy senior reporter, Hillary Milnes, and with me this week is Brooke Taylor Corsia, the founder of The Dreslin. Hi, Brooke. Hi, Hillary. How are you? Good, good. Uh, happy to, to reconnect and chat. Um, why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about what The Dreslin is for, for anyone who's not familiar, um, and we can get into how you got started. Sure. So the Dreslin is an online specialty store. We're based in downtown Los Angeles. And we're really focused on trendless, timeless apparel, home goods, accessories, and bags and cosmetics. Um, Our whole idea is to really touch on a certain specific customer who shares our point of view, who um, is looking for something that they can invest in and really love and wear for years to come. So we're not as trend-based as um, other boutiques, but we do have a very focused and I'd say somewhat minimal point of view um, that we try to curate the whole vision together from one end to the other of a woman's full lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Great. And and so, and when did you open the store um, online and what was the online fashion landscape like at the time? Like what, what did you see as your competitors and who are you going up against? Sure. So we launched in 2014 and um, really thoughtfully considered where to launch and, you know, how we wanted to come into the marketplace. Um, I had been working with Essence out of Montreal, who is a really fantastic um, online retailer of their own with a very specific point of view out there and learned, you know, the business through them and had a great experience there, but noticed that a lot of the competitors at the time in the space were growing and developing in the direction of a department store model. Mm -hmm. So they were buying a lot of product and trying to reach a multitude of different personalities and different um, client profiles, which is certainly, you know, there's a place for that in the market, but I felt that um, just watching the e-commerce Um, industry really rise and become something that people were gravitating towards and becoming more comfortable with, I saw that there was a bit of a lack of in the marketplace of specialty store businesses and really feel that just like in the real world, a luxury department store and a specialty store boutique can live side by side, but offer such a completely different shopping experience. And I wanted to replicate that in the online space. And at the same time, we noticed that um, I had actually come from Los Angeles to Montreal when I married my husband and realized that there wasn't such a representation of West Coast style on the e-commerce platform. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of the fashion was coming out of New York, Paris, London, you know, very much European based or East Coast based. And the West Coast had this reputation for either being very, very casual, that whole Ugg and sweatpants moment, or very red carpet. But having lived there and visited and just with the women who I knew and the people that I was seeing on the streets, they really did consume a lot of the similar brands and the similar product, but just interpreted it and wore it 
in a different way. And I didn't feel that that was being represented. So the time came to sort of expand my own, you know, spread my own wings and reach into my own vision. And I felt like this was a really great place to start. And at the time, it was also within Los Angeles, just this resurgence of the art scene and a lot of people moving back out there and a lot of, you know, new development and energy, you know, within the downtown area. So it was just really fortuitous timing and, you know, this appeal to really represent what was happening out West. Mm -hmm. And and you didn't have a background in e-commerce before, right? What were you doing at the time? So I had actually started my career out in California working with um, Glamour Magazine and Condé Nast in advertising and then moved on with C Magazine in editing. And um, when I moved to Canada to be with my husband, I realized that there wasn't as much opportunity in the publishing industry in Montreal specifically. And that's how I connected with Essence, who is one of the largest e-commerce players um, in Canada and ended up being their senior buyer for women's wear and helped them establish their women's department at the time. So I actually had a really great introduction into the e-commerce world and saw and really fell in love with how many different aspects of the fashion industry that it allows for. I mean, you have your editing, there's photography, there's the creative side, there's buying, the finance. It's so multifaceted and just really, you know, was something that I fell in love with. I felt like it had so much to offer and so much potential. So um, I spent several years with them and learned the ropes and eventually felt I had my own you know, personal vision to express. And like I said, this whole specialty store perspective was somewhat lacking in the market at the time. So I wanted to really put my stamp on that and lead forward with that West Coast point of view. Yeah, absolutely. And and so what do you think you learned from Essence about running a store like the Dreslin? I think, you know, in the similar way that, that Essence does, you guys are looking more for a, a curated niche segment of the online market rather than I feel like a lot of companies just want to go mass, mass, mass and, and reach as many people as possible because, you know, when you're online, the sky's kind of the limit. So was it that sort of lesson in restraint and um, having a strong point of view? What else What else did you learn there that made you say like, okay, I, I, I can do this now? I think you completely nailed it. And I love that you can read that just by you know, looking at our websites and sort of picking that up. It is absolutely a lesson in restraint. Um, One thing I give them a lot of credit for at Essence is they were very clear about who they were and where they wanted to be. Um, And also just within the actual technical aspect of the websites, the idea of restraint, of simplicity, of making the user experience as clean and simple as possible Um, taking away any unnecessary elements that don't need to be there and keeping things really about the product and really about the message that you're trying to put forward instead of having so much bells and whistles and, you know, things that you can heart and click. And if it's not really getting the customer to the product and for the purpose of why they're on your website to begin with, it's really considered... Um, and unnecessary extra. So it's this focus and this idea of really speaking to one individual client profile and 
putting everything behind making their experience and the service that you offer them the best that you can. Mm -hmm. And I think what often comes across my mind when you look at companies um, like the Dreslin that are comfortable or trying to stay smaller online, what, who's the customer who's seeking that out? And is it ever overwhelming or intimidating when you're thinking like, oh, am I actually like, how do I compete with something like the Net-A-Porte that, can, that has bigger reach and, and way more resources and can offer more brands um, to customers? You know, how do you make, basically stay in business without trying to scale super big? Sure. Um, I think it's really interesting, actually, because the internet really is the great equalizer, you know, in terms of being very democratic when customers come to visit you. Um, they can't really sense whether you're, you know, been in business for 300 years or for two years. It's really something that if the product you put out there has a great visibility and great experience on its own, I think that there's a credibility to that. So that's been really helpful for us. The fact that there is, um, from the supplier side, a fixed you know, pr price that you have to sell product for that people can undercut each other in the market, I think that also equalizes things so that everyone starts on the same playing field. And where you really do differentiate is in what you're buying, it's within the edit, and it's in, within how you're servicing people, how you're presenting the product, and, you know, how you're conceiving of fashion in general. So to that point, I think that being very focused has actually served us very, very well, because our customer retention is incredible. I mean, our customers come back four to six times a year. Um, we actually don't even count someone as a quote unquote customer until they've shopped at least two to three times. So we have such an incredible loyalty with our woman. And that to me is, you know, the 80, 20 rule where most of your business is coming from a small number of people. We want to take that pool of returning customers and expand it as big as possible. And I think our strategy, which has really served our growth is to make sure that we catch and capture with a very specific point of view, people who understand and relate to it and make sure that we're giving them the best, you know, selection that suits their perspective and that we sort of are continuing in the same place together. Mm -hmm. So we've managed to expand um, thoughtfully into other categories to encompass her whole lifestyle rather than oversaturating any one specific department. So instead of carrying, let's say, hundreds of clothing designers, we've also expanded into beauty and into home goods and are really trying to reach this woman on many different levels so that we give her several reasons to come back and visit us on a more frequent basis. And that's been really exciting, you know, as a place for us to expand um, sort of laterally instead of just deep into one area. Right. Yeah. If you can, if you can nail the actual lifestyle brand model, you're, you're in good shape. I know a lot of brands want to be that, but it's kind of hard. Uh, but so let's dig in, in a little bit more into the, into the buying process and, and how you choose the brands and the product that you, that you carry in the store. We actually had someone comment on, um, on our podcast on iTunes asking about this process because they were in the buying um, in boutique industry themselves. And when you first started, was it, how did you even convince these brands um, 
a lot of which I'm sure didn't even have full-fledged e-commerce operations of their own to trust this new name. Um, what did that ramping up process look like for you? Um, I was very lucky because I had been working in this position for many years prior to launching my own business. So I did have, you know, established relationships with many of the sales directors and teams of some of the brands that I was looking to work with. And I think that what it comes down to sincerely is having a really clear idea of what you what you are setting out to accomplish and what you are filling in the market that isn't already there. What, you know, for a new buyer who wants to get started to ask yourself what does my store offer that isn't in the marketplace? How am I coming to this marketplace with something different, whether it's technology or perspective or whatever your location, if it's physical store, you know, where are you offering a service that someone else isn't? And what are you sort of capitalizing on that's very exciting? So for us, it was the fact that we were a specialty store at it. We were in Los Angeles. We were representing a certain perspective the customer that we're going after is a little bit more mature. She's in her mid-30s on average into the 40s. So we had a very clear perspective and sense of what we wanted to do. Um, certainly having a business plan and all of that you know, lined up and a presentation to show of what you will have if you're pre-launch, you know, what will the site look like? And what's the story that you're trying to tell? So these are all questions before you even get started that are very important to have um, nailed down and really be well-versed in. And coming to a brand, you know, the way that I look at sales and everything is a partnership. I mean, business to me is really about people. It's about relationships. It's about nurturing each other for the benefit of everyone. So whether it's to our clients or to our suppliers and partners, it's how we can grow best together. And so you have to ask yourself, what can I offer your brand that you're not getting through other channels? Mm -hmm. um, and this was something that we, you know, really led with strongly when we launched the Dreslin. And then the continued conversation is how can we represent what you're trying to say through the Dreslin lens and really, you know, grow it together and support each other um, now, whether it's through editorials or doing different exclusives together and keeping the story fresh and exciting for our clients. So it really is an ongoing um, discussion, but certainly I think relationships are key. And if you can sort of answer for the person that you want to work with, what you can offer them instead of just coming at it like, I want your brand because it's great. I think that it has to be sort of two-sided there. Right. And and how did you seek out the brands that you wanted on the site? And, and was it, did you look at it as from differentiation on the brand side or the product assortment that you had sourced from the brands? Because obviously you had those um, great relationships at Essence, but the Dresden couldn't be just a duplicate of that. So, so how did you sort of find new brands that people wouldn't be able to discover? And then if it was a well-known brand, find those pieces that, that other places might not have picked up. Sure. So exactly what you're saying, we did not want to come in certainly. And if you look side by side, I mean, the point of view is very, you know, unique to both of our, you know, stores. Um, I think that, like you said, coming into a brand that was already existing, it was important for us to enter the market with some very established names. 
because we wanted new customers who landed, you know, what is the Dreslin? We've never heard of you before to look at something that they're familiar with and say, okay, that's credible. I understand. Um, I've seen Helmet Lang in the market or Alexander Wang. I know who that is. So if they're selling this collection that I'm familiar with, then certainly this new emerging label must also be something interesting because it's sitting side by side. Um, Coming into this edit as a specialty store and being in Los Angeles, it was very important for us to champion um, emerging designers and local designers. So we did um, go out and sort of seek those partnerships of things that we felt really you know, added value to the world of what we're doing. And it's been very exciting to watch those collections grow. Um, Shana Moat comes to mind as one who's very exciting and really continuing to um, amaze me at what she's able to do and how sophisticated it's come in the years that it's developed. Our studio is a um, accessories collection that we have that's local, that's really grown and become something quite substantial for our business. So That's always exciting and a great point of differentiation because people, especially our customer in this edit that we have, I think what differentiates us from a bigger store is that they want unique product. I don't think that they're looking to be um, sort of replicated where you show up at a party and everyone's sort of wearing the same thing. And this sense of uniqueness and confidence and individuality is something that we really promote on our website. So the sense of discovery is really something that people come to us for specifically. Yeah, absolutely. And and I'm sure that that relationship with the brands and the designers has has evolved over time. Do you find that now it's more, it's, it's easier to sit kind of for them to understand what, what you're going for and what might work for you? Like how has that relationship um, grown over the past three years? Um, exactly. It has become easier. I mean, definitely experience in time, you know, it, it makes it simpler as you go along and the more established that you are, um, for people to understand what you're gravitating towards. And for us also to have that customer feedback and see what is selling. It's certainly a process between, um, my own intuition of what, I interpret fashion as, and, you know, I am certainly the end customer. Um, so there is something very close to me about the product that I really do stand behind everything that we sell. I do the buy from start to finish personally. It's, um, you know, it's exciting for me. It's things that I'm passionate about and really coming from a place of just wanting to share these amazing, you know, brands and, designers and products with like-minded people. So there's a huge, I would say a larger degree of my process personally is very intuitive. Um, Looking at the product in the showroom from the shows and, you know, there is an emotional reaction. I think every woman can relate to going shopping and spotting the perfect dress or pair of shoes that you just look at it and something special happens. You have to have it you know that it's going to be something you'll get a lot of use out of. Um, There's that sort of passion and excitement that can happen when there's something that really suits you. So, you know, it's taking that feeling and then looking, of course, at the data, at the numbers, which over time gives you a lot of feedback. And that's where the conversation with the customer is so important to say, you know, occasionally there are things that I think are fantastic, but maybe don't translate as well for sales. 
And we might still represent it in a small way because I think it's important, but at the same time to really listen and understand that feedback so that you can grow in a more positive direction and service your client in the right way. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up because I definitely wanted to get into the role that data plays. Um, obviously it's, you just keep hearing about how important it is for retailers to know what their customers want, respond to that quickly and, and stay on top of that. But for for a smaller company, how much, how many resources are you able to put towards that, that, um, calling of customer data and, and how big of a role is it playing, especially when you are operating at a company that's, that you think is really coming from such a strong vision that's hard to, you know, really see in the, in the, the data figures. Sure. I mean, I think data is a very tricky um, thing in general, because I do see that stores who buy solely on data and are only looking at numbers and to fill, you know, you're looking at numbers that are being reported on from the season prior, first of all, and often within the season as it's happening. But when you're looking at historical data over time, you have to be careful that you're not getting stuck into just buying one specific type of product and not really listening to what's happening out in the world of fashion and out in the trend and out in, you know, what people are looking at today. So I think that data is very important because it can give you so much insight into, you know, what is actually profitable and working and what is connecting, but it has to be definitely taken with a grain of salt. Um, certainly that balance of the art and science is something that we really listen to within the edit and the way we approach buying, because you do have to take risks occasionally and you do have to, you know, touch on things that you think might be really exciting and great. And maybe there's no data to prove that this will work, but you do have to take those risks and, you know, support what you think is a great vision artistically in order to keep things sort of special and interesting for the customer. So I do feel that it's extremely necessary and to not have like data or any conversation within it would be negligent. But there is this point for us where it's a recommendation and then also you have to bring in that creative aspect. But it is quite interesting um, in the online space, just how much and how many different ways you can look at the customer experience from how many people are landing on a product or clicking on it and putting it into their cart or how you know quickly did something turn? How well is this selling? There's so many different places in the customer experience that you can track that is you know pretty impressive and does give us some very genuine feedback about, you know, presenting product on models versus on just a hanger, you know, how much information are they getting, what can service them better, and constantly helps us improve. Right. So do you think that it's almost that data that is informing how the customers like to shop versus what they necessarily want to shop um, really comes into play? Because do you think that, especially for e-commerce site, fashion sites, is there a risk that data is making the selections pretty boring? That's exactly what I mean about that conflict and the grain of salt. You want to make sure as a fashion site, I mean, we are curating a buy for the clientele. So we need to be the leaders who have this point of view. That's why they come to us. There's a trust value there and a confidence level that, 
you know, the woman who's on the other end of her screen and only has 30 minutes to herself. Maybe she's taking time over her lunch break to shop for something she needs this weekend or the vacation she's taking when she wants to go and look. And the whole point of the e-commerce model is for convenience and to make it accessible 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, you want to make sure that you're keeping that high confidence. And I think this is something that we certainly value very much at the Dreslin is keeping that very focused and this whole sense of this edit so that when people come and they identify with us, they know that nine out of 10 times they will find what they're looking for or even something unexpected that they didn't know they wanted. And it's our jobs to anticipate this. It's our jobs to put the best of what we think is the you know greatest selection forward. So if you rely too much on data, you risk like following instead of leading where you're looking only at historics and you're not moving that conversation forward. So that's what I mean, where there's an important balance that you have to be aware of. Right. I think, yeah, I think that's, that's come up a lot in, in recent conversations that uh, push back towards that that editor at these at these types of, of companies, whether it's a department store or a boutique, who can kind of say, data aside, we know what we're doing, and that's why we have this job. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it really is a creative, you know, industry, right? First and foremost. But in terms sure. of how how people want to shop and how data can inform that, um, you guys obviously were started online. Have you have any uh, looked at any evidence that? an online or a, a not online opposite in store, uh, real life physical store would make sense for you guys? I do think there's opportunities within marketing that could be very exciting. I mean, like I go back to this business being all about people that contact with customers is so important. And it's so gratifying whenever we've done um, pop up like sample sale events, for example, or trunk show partnerships with our designers to see our actual clientele and, you know, watch them interact with the product and have those conversations and just be face to face is so lovely. And there's certainly a value to that. But I do think that in terms of our core competency and our focus and just the potential of the marketplace, for us personally, online is really what we're putting all of our energies towards, Um, you know, generally just looking at having a local, you know, locally based boutique versus being global, Um, having store hours versus being open, you know, all day, every day, there's sort of benefits there that we can offer in the online experience that brick and mortar just has limitations naturally. But I do think that there is a place for it. I don't think that brick and mortar is going to disappear with the onslaught of the e-commerce model. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think that that omni-channel offering is very interesting um, and exciting, but it is not in the near future cards for us, most definitely. Right. Uh, well, so as a company that's then focusing online over the past few years and even your time at Essence, working both on the sort of marketplace online boutique side and then working with these brands and designers do you think that there's been a lack of education in in fashion retail and luxury retail and how to 
sort of make manage that transition online and 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 put that focus there do you think what what do you think because i the industry gets a bad reputation for being behind and too slow to adapt Um, where do you think that's coming from having been only on e-commerce side I mean, I certainly think there is a very distinctive difference. And you can notice this just within the actual platforms that you visit between someone who is full throttle dedicated to the e-commerce business and someone who just has a website. And that's within the approach of how you build the website structure of your actual coding, the approach with your site health and SEO, the marketing, the you know, actual physical platform itself, you can tell that within a transactional website and someone who just put it in as an afterthought, um, it is a very different experience. It's a completely different business, to be quite honest. You have to sort of treat them as separate entities. And yeah, I do think there is a bit of a lack of, I guess if you want to say education or just catching up from a lot of the um, more well-rooted and I guess, fundamental retailers who were so versed in brick and mortar that didn't quite catch on, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Um, Because there is such a different approach in how you manage that. So I do agree with that. Um, How to resolve that, I think, is just really diving in and learning, you know, even having been at Essence for years and being trained specifically in this point of view. I mean, every single day we are learning new things, we're optimizing, there's so much you know, potential and new technology every day that comes up. Even I think newsletter marketing is such a good example recently where we've um, decided to partner with a firm who really hones in on all of the intricacies of how people open and what they're responding to and how often, and if they're looking at this brand on the website, then they get this newsletter. Mm-hmm. If there, there's just so many ways to target your clients on a more individual basis today that didn't even exist five years ago, that if you're not wholly committed to developing that aspect of your business, you will be missing out on a lot of opportunity. Yeah, 100%. Um, and, and we're almost out of time. But just to wrap up, it seems like online marketplaces that are that are hyper curated like yours, it's it's um, almost an alternative for people who are kind of sick of shopping the same old department store um, selections. But so it, in that sense, it's you guys have like a, a running business against these against these types of companies, but especially when you're talking with the brands that you carry and the designers that you work with, um, does the does the question of Amazon ever come up? Because when you're talking about an online experience, it's really hard on the customer service and convenience side to to rival that. Is it a matter of the, having a highly edited point of view and um, a strong e-commerce site that will uh, that will beat it out, or do you think that eventually people will be buying fashion on Amazon as much as they do their toilet paper? No, I think it's a very interesting question, and this is something we've discussed internally. It is, um, you know, Amazon certainly has such a corner on the market and such a reach and breadth, and like you said, these services that they're able to offer just because of the sheer size and force of what they've become. Um, But what's very interesting about what we do and where we do come into the market is I really feel that Amazon is replacing the department stores more than they are impacting the specialty store 
you know, experience. Right. Um, because they were able, like we just touched on in our last question, to come into this e-commerce space very early on. I mean, they started in one category. They've reached out into just about every area of modern living at this point and did so very, very thoughtfully and with a lot of attention to building an online business, whereas a lot of the slower movers in the fashion industry um, are really certainly just catching on and they're not able to necessarily compete at that level. So I do think that the approach of Amazon is certainly talking, for example, to every person. They are a mass um, market type of entity. Um, so, you know, just like, again, going back to the brick and mortar in the real world, there's always been department stores versus specialty stores, but they both can survive in the same environment and offer different experiences. And that's how I feel our relationship to Amazon will be. I think currently we work with brands who, frankly, most of our designers don't even sell to department stores. So we already are very specialty in our focus. Mm -hmm. And they certainly are not retailing to Amazon, but should they ever, I think that it would be just this sort of partnership where you exist side by side. And I do think that there are clients who want to come to a specialty store for a certain type of experience for the way that we present things. Again, going back to the actual selection, um, the editorials and the blogs and the interviews and the stories we tell are very curated. It has a very clear point of view. So I think that as long as we continue connecting with our clients in a very special way, branding the packaging so that you feel like you're getting a gift and you're not just getting something dropped into a FedEx bag. Um, you know, all these small details that can really give some life and uniqueness to the experience. I think as long as we continue to manage that and differentiate, then it can co coexist quite happily. Mm -hmm. I, absolutely. I think that's a great, great point. And good to, good to hear that especially stores aren't, aren't just throwing in the towel. <laughs> <laughs> not yet. <laughs> All Certainly. right. Yeah. Well, great. Thank you so much for, for joining us, Brooke. We're about out of time, but I appreciate it. Oh, it was really wonderful speaking with you. Thank you so much. Great. And thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. And in the meantime, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play and leave us any feedback you have. Bye.